This is the Sound Health Radio Show, where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health. With Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is, of course, off working on the SoundHealthPortal.com. I'm currently suggesting that you go to the SoundHealthPortal.com, scroll down just a bit, and click on the Watch How button. And then you'll see a short video explaining the how of doing an intake, which means recording your voice online and submitting your first recording. And once you've watched that, then go. You'll still be there, but probably may have to tab back to go to soundhealthportal.com. Scroll down to see some of the current active campaigns, and a campaign is one that you can use the software for free, and it'll walk you through. Pick something such as, let's say, BioDiet or PTSD, TBI, or one of my favorites, neuroplasticity, where we look at the balance of how the brain is working and how it's firing and how, how something might be missing that make it a little sluggish or make it better. And choose one of those, something that's really of interest to you, not just like, well, I'll try that. Try something that's really of interest to you. Click on that, and then it'll walk you through signing up for a free account to do that voice analysis. And it'll walk you through, it takes about two minutes to do the recordings. And you do it right to your computer, best if you have a small microphone, but it'll do it right to the computer. And you'll get a report back within about one to two hours is pretty average. And I suggest sitting down with a cup of tea and looking at that report. And if you have a practitioner that you work with, a DO or an ND or an acupuncturist or a chiropractor, or perhaps an MD who's slipped into the ND realms a lot, I see that trending a lot now, and talk about like, well, we've been working on that. Wow, look at this. Or maybe we need to work on that. So that's all at soundhealthportal.com. To hear and share replays of the show, about 20 to 30 minutes after you hear the outro music, go to talktomeguy.com, all like it sounds, all words. Scroll down that page, and you'll see this episode at the top of the episodes page. There are also archives of over 400 hours of shows now, which blows my mind. And there's also, at the bottom right corner of each page, there's a small microphone, and you can tap that microphone and leave me a question for the guest I just had or any other question. If you want to start your own podcast and want to know how, I seem to be the person who gets everybody doing that. And you can leave me any kind of message you want, and I'll be notified. And if it's a question for a guest or some other technical question, I'll get back to you. Or if you want help, just let me know. Just click on that mic. It's really easy. With that, Jean Lotus combines her experience as a professional international business journalist and an editor with expertise in the emerging U.S. industrial hemp markets and the sustainable building industry in Europe and the United States. Jean has expertise in the climate-based U.S. regulatory and policy changes in decarbonizing building materials in creating nature-based solutions. Lotus hosts a weekly clubhouse discussion on hemp building and construction materials. Jean Lotus, hemppreneur, award-winning journalist and investigator and founder Hemp Build Magazine, joins us to talk about the Green Built Revolution. Welcome, Jean. Oh, Richard, thank you so much for having me. For those that I will put this link in the show notes, uh, I think we talked in 2017. 
Could it have been that long? That sounds no, long. I think it might have been 2019. Possibly. That's better. Thank you. That sounds much better. <laughs> I think so. And I know things have changed since then, but I realized in reviewing my notes from that show that I never did ask you, how did you go from being writing for the UPI, United Press International, to doing Hemp Build Magazine? What was the gateway? How did that jump? How did you make that jump? Well, um, I had a great gig at UPI. This was pre-pandemic. And of course, you know, journalism in general is um, under a lot of uh, disruptive pressure. But pre-pandemic, I had my goal was, or my job was writing enterprise journalism, you know, three or four articles a week for UPI about the American West. So every time I wrote about industrial hemp, I got a slew, you know, you could see how many page views your stories got, you know, tens of thousands or whatever. So um, the audience really wanted to hear about industrial hemp. At the same time, a friend of mine, the, the guy who introduced me and my husband back in, oh, decades, decades ago, um, hmm. he he's a FDA compliance lawyer in uh Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and he and his friend had, um, so they were working on things like, let's import some uh, interesting, you know, nature-based chemicals from the Andes and, you know, try to get them into the U.S. and make them into a health supplement kind of thing mm. uh, using the indigenous medicine. So they they were very interested in CBD and the industrial hemp, so they um they got, they needed somebody, they wanted to buy some in 2019 here in Colorado for the 20, for the 2019 harvest. And I don't know, the hemp industry in Colorado and elsewhere, you know, everything split up into those that were growing it for cannabinoids and those that were interested in the industrial usage. Now, the industrial usages are like paper, textiles, biofuels, um, various kinds of, you know, um, mulch and building materials. But the cannabinoid industry was, you know, let's put CBD in Coca-Cola. Let's put, you know, Martha Stewart is getting into CBD, blah, blah, blah. Well, there was immediately a huge glut of CBD hemp that was growing. And it's the same plant, but it just is... um, it's grown a little bit differently. It's more of a horticultural uh, experience than a giant row crop, you know, grown with a seed driller kind of thing, which is the industrial experience. So, so basically um, just as this CBD market was crashing, I started writing about it. And then when the pandemic came, bam, it was UPI just really, they, they, lost a lot of their um, their advertising. So my mm. job was cut by 80%. <laughs> it was only one wow. day a week. Wow. So I said, you know, this is the time to basically um, to switch over. So a friend of mine here in Fort Collins has been running the NOCO Hemp Expo for nine years. This will be the ninth one coming up at the end of March. So he has a, a a blog called Let's Talk Hemp, and I started writing for him. I started writing for some other 
groups, you know, about industrial hemp and, and as it was used industrially and the cannabinoid market. So um, that's kind of how I got into it. One of the things is that there's a lot of hempium hopium going on just because, you know, Jack Herrer wrote a book called um, The Emperor's New Clothes and uh, a lot of, you know, he made these assertions that everything that is made out of fossil fuels, petroleum can be made out of hemp, which is absolutely true. We can exchange hydrocarbons for carbohydrates, but the uh, supply chains and everything else um, hemp isn't the only source of these kind of um, products, but uh, yes, we can go plant-based, and there is an alternate science fiction universe out there where uh, instead of making plastics and cellophane out of um, out of petrochemicals, we made them out of plants. And um, but that isn't what happened. <laughs> so. Um, so it's fascinating as a journalist for me to look at, you know, sort of this moment in history as we took a plant that in 1937 that uh, was, you know, it, we're coming out of prohibition. We had a federal police force basically that was looking for a new thing to go after. And we took a plant that had a ton of industrial uses and just threw it out with the bathwater while having you know, this war on drugs. So it's so interesting to me that the plant is reintroduced. The 2018 Farm Bill allowed, you know, made hemp legal again for industrial uses. And the world has basically um, followed suit. About 60 other countries um, legalized industrial hemp in 2022 when they figured out that it really was happening. You know, um, a lot of countries got rid of it because of, they did not want to jeopardize uh, a potential of U.S. aid. So they said anything cannabis is off the table. Um, so it's fascinating to me, the second chance crop, America's original fiber, we're coming back to it and realizing, you know, what we could have done and maybe what we can do in the future with it. Is that too long of an answer? <laughs> no, that was a great that was a great answer. I only have ten questions in there. Um, so when I interviewed Andrea Herman before I interviewed you, and for people who don't know, she I can't remember her titles, but she was in Canada. She lives in Canada. She's a hemp expert in Canada, but she teaches at Ohio or Iowa University or something. I can't remember that part. And my takeaway, I think that was in 2017. I might have interviewed her. And it blew my mind at how much Canada was involved in using hemp. Because in our conversation, she was not talking about CBD at all. That was not her field in any way. Not interested. She was talking about using it and everything what we're doing, what you're now advocating and educating people about, about using it for fiber, using it for insulation, using it for hempcrete, using it for all that. She, they were doing that in Canada. They had, we were talking backstage about music and sound, and I believe that she talked about how musicians loved hemp sheetrock because of its sound dampening qualities. Correct. And that and kind of, and that in kind of Europe. Thing. Yeah, in, okay, in Europe as well. And what is it, why, I don't know how to say this, why are the Canadians smarter than we are that they went, oh no, here's a crop that we should be utilizing, and they did? Well, I can tell you that 
various countries did not throw the baby out with the bathwater. A lot of countries decided to keep the industrial uses of hemp as, I mean, it's a very, very ancient crop, right? It was used for sales. If you look at pictures of rigging on um, old sailboats, uh, it was it basically all the rope and all the sails were made of hemp, so it was a huge it was a huge thing. So a lot of countries, I would say France, China, Ukraine, Romania, um, they basically said, okay, we can have a strict marijuana policy, but we can also use the um, use the industrial uses of hemp, and we can basically the UK. We can basically work with that. So Canada in the 90s allowed the industrial uses of hemp. And, you know, part of hemp, if you think of hemp, it's a lot like flax. It has a very similar sort of pattern. We we use, like flax, for example, has an outer bark called a bast that's used in linen. And, you know, several hundred years ago, before cotton became the thing, um, people either wore linen or wool clothing. Um, they did not really wear cotton clothing. They certainly didn't wear polyester clothing. And mm-hmm. so they did, they used hemp for things like canvas. It's not a really great, um, you know, clothing material unless you're talking about prison garb. Um, it's itchy and everything. Uh, but it now has, of course, been blended. So with other, um, with other, you know, especially with cotton. But, um, so Canada, I think, followed uh, followed France and other uh, countries that basically said, you know what, we don't need to pretend that this is just everything with this, a leaf that looks like this is the devil's lettuce, right? We can separate the uses. And they, and they did. But you'll also notice the grain, you know, um, the, the, if you take an overlay and say, where do they grow flax in the United States? Flax also has mm. a very nutritional seed, right? It's got mm-hmm. omega-3, omega-6, so does hemp. Um, Superfood, protein, blah, 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 great for animal feed, great for eggs. Um, and in fact, there was a flax uh, in the 90s and early 2000s, there was a, a sort of flax push in the United States to grow flax in places like North Carolina, basically by the same people who were growing hemp in Canada saying, well, if we get the supply chains going with flax, then we will then um, have it ready for hemp when hemp is legalized in the U.S. So sort of, you know, and also the DEA, you know, there is just such a, there just is such a, um, there's such a sticking point. And here I am in Colorado, you're in California, you know, adult use marijuana is completely out there and um, it's, it's, it's part of the culture. I, I myself am not really good at, uh, I've, I've only smoked pot like two or three times in my life. I'm like the only person in Colorado and my 86 year old mom who do not smoke marijuana regularly, but um, (laughs) you know, it is, it is what it is. And uh, you know, there are medicinal uses, blah, blah, blah. But this is really, when you think about the the food um, and the, and the fiber, this is really more of a 
an industrial plant and had been, you know, used that way for millennia before this weird sort of detour began. And now yeah. also, you know, Canada also has cheap land with with a short uh, cycle, right? A short uh, a short summer, right? Because it's so mm-hmm. far north. Well, hemp and flax both grow. Um, they both grow very fast. Hemp, and you've seen old pictures from Ukraine and places with with people standing. And now here this year, oops, sorry about that. Um, this year, there are uh, pictures of American farmers standing with a 20 foot uh, field of a wall of hemp plants. Now that those plants grew in 90 days. So if wow. you have cheap land and you have a lot of you know, you have a short growing season. Hemp is a great. The other thing about it now is that with climate change, hemp is a great product because the reason it grows so fast, it grows faster than bamboo, um, is that it has these little air pockets. I mean, it's shooting up so, you know, as tall as a house in one season, right? Um, and those little air pockets are great for insulation. So that is why... They have made it into insulation in Europe, and you know we're so they are so far advanced. There's a Marks and Spencer store, which is their version of uh, an early Target kind of department store made of hemp. Um, various housing uh, housing developments, blah blah blah. Um, in France, you know you've probably seen there's some uh, 11 story apartment buildings made of hemp. There's a there's a um, a uh, athletic facility that was just made of it. So yeah, it is great. They they have built the the acoustic panels. The whole the whole technology is there in Europe, and it just basically needs to be. They've made all the mistakes, so it just needs to be kind of imported over here. Amazing. The technology. And, right, and. Uh, we're going to jump. Everybody hold on. We're jumping here because we're going to jump to your clubhouse that you have on a, every week. And I'll put uh, – for those that don't know what clubhouse is, look it up. For those that do, I will put the link in the show notes for your weekly clubhouse. And one of the things that you talked about in the clubhouse that I thought was very cool was the example of what they're doing in the Ukraine. And I can't remember. Could you talk about that a little bit, about what they've got built and they're doing it with hemp? Oh, yeah. Well, one of the one of the most prolific hemp builders in the world is a guy named uh, Sergey Doctor Hemphouse Kovalenkov, and he um, he is a Russian speaking Ukrainian. He was based in Kiev. He kind of moved his offices as the um, as the city of Kiev started to get bombed. He had to get his uh, he had to get his uh, female relatives and kids out out of town into Spain, but um, he he I think he got his engineering degree in California, um, so he started building with hemp maybe ten or fifteen years ago, and he's done just amazing maybe sixty or seventy projects. Right now he's in he's in Costa Rica building a hempcrete dome uh, cool. that's going to be like some kind of a uh, sort of psycho-religious or, uh, I don't know, retreat center. But um, so he, 
so one of the cool things about him, you know, we talk about the circular economy, the idea of instead of one company making everything, having a lock on it and sending it out throughout the United States, what does it mean to sort of get your materials on a local level, sort of like the locavore movement, but with building materials. Now, when the war happened, Sergei, you know, he had made the decision to buy all his hemp from Ukraine. He had made the decision to source all of his uh, binder from Ukraine. So when the war happened, he realized, like, I can keep going. I don't have to import anything. Um, so this is an example of amazing resilience, right? And amazing resilience that is part is built into the sort of localized economy. And um, so part of the deal, so he started working, he had four or five projects that he was working on, but then he was asked, a charity in Spain wanted to build a um, a large uh, housing development for refugees and veterans, and he was able to basically donate the, the material just from his local um, supplies. So they have built 30 units so far, and he trained he trained the people that are living there to build it. Um, and and you know if you YouTube is such a great thing if you want to talk look at building with hemp on YouTube you can see people you know it's it's very much like sort of the excitement that you get with when the straw bale movement came out in the 90s right you mean I can just make a house out of bales of straw you know <laughs> yeah um, you know, it's very, it, it's especially with this huge housing crisis and, you know, young people, I have, my oldest is 27, my youngest is 17. My kids are, you know, they just don't believe that they will ever be able to own their own home. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you can basically build a house out of natural materials is mind-blowing to them and to me and it's it's very empowering and democratizing now how does that work with you know a local economy versus how american business gets built right it's always you know investors ask you do you have a moat what is what do you have that nobody else has and do you have a patent so that nobody else can use your stuff and blah 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 but this is this is kind of the opposite you know, it's sort of, that's why I call it the green built revolution is, you know, using very localized materials. And we're so lucky because hemp lime, which unfortunately they call hempcrete in Europe, um, it's not mm. load bearing. So there's a huge, um, it's, a, it's an insulation and it is not load bearing. It's a fluffy stone insulation that's half plant matter. Um that is now in the U.S. building codes, in the residential codes, thanks to some hard work by a bunch of volunteers from the U.S. Hemp Building Association. So we are now able to build with it. I mean, it's in. It's going to be in the 2024 codes, but it's basically approved. So um, next step is getting it into what's called the International Building Code as opposed to the International Residential Code. But mainly, you know, just basically allowing it to be used like it is in Europe. Um, you know, there's such a gap between a, you know, a, an 11-story apartment building and a tiny home or a shed or a dog house that somebody makes in the backyard. Right. 
Right. But there are in the in the glider in the photos that I put on the platform, uh, I put a number of photographs of houses that are hemp based. Mm -hmm. And um, one of them, uh, this is the meeting up meetup of uh, two of the worlds that I'm interested in, is uh, it was a hemp tiny house. So somebody's mm -hmm. now making tiny houses using hemp products. And it just seems like, wow, when worlds collide, that's totally cool. To be able yes. to, as you say, is the idea. I'm much older than your sons, and the idea of actually owning a home is still like, what? What happened? I'm here now. I'm doing this. I didn't get a home. How did that work? But the idea of yes. being able to take materials, as you say, is in certain communities, and I've always, that's why I've always been fascinated with the how much they're doing in other countries with hemp. And here we're still going like, well, I don't know, Straw Bale Hill homes were cool. Where's hemp? And it's exciting right. to hear. Because I really get that the feeling that this is this thing with the hemp lime insulation into U.S. residential building codes is groundbreaking in a really Absolutely. kind of amazing way. That's awesome. It is. It is so exciting, and you know, it basically um, and and we can see when you look, you know, when you Google hemp houses, you can see that people have been building them, especially Australia, you know, they have a, a national building code in Australia. Here we have, and we, we have a giant country, we have all kinds of different engineering challenges, like California, you guys have seismic challenges, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but in Florida, they have mold, and they have, um, they have uh, hurricane challenges, right? So, you know, across, we have to have a specialized building code across the world. We do, or across the United States, we do have a little bit of a crazy. Like Colorado is one of eight states that has zero state building codes. So wow. um, that is a problem because we have, you know, local control over every single building code, and you know, sometimes you end up with people building shacks, and sometimes you end up with building codes that are so restrictive that nobody can build anything for less than half a million dollars, which is kind of the trap that you folks are in in California yeah. in many ways. Yeah. So, and let's talk about housing equals health, okay? Let's yep. talk about cheap building materials. Now, if you really want to find out about this, go to the Healthy Materials Lab it, at the at Parsons New School University, they are that is an architecture and design school, and they are basically trying to make sure that new designers come up with the most healthy um, the most healthy ingredients in building materials, so that they know that they have a choice. You know, instead of plastic, we can use this. Instead of Linoleum, we saw New Palestine, uh, Ohio, what happens when that stuff burns, right? And yeah. how poisonous it is. When, when we talk about um, plywood and um, oscillated strand board, OSB, people, you know, people who build with that have to cut it. And it's made in Asia because it has so much formaldehyde in it that it actually ruins the lungs of, of people who work with it too, uh, too much. So the idea of having a product that's made of a plant and limestone, which is totally inert, um, is mold resistant, fire resistant, um, and a great insulator, 
it's it just checks so many boxes and there are you know there are tons of healthy materials out there uh plant-based materials but the healthy materials lab is a great resource because they're basically saying listen the cheapest materials go to the to um housing for low-income people and it, they do contribute to um sick building syndrome and people mm-hmm. you know asthma and children so when we say housing is health, we we want to say how can we um, just improve improve things and you know with the idea of you know if you if you drive around and you see new homes being built, there's always plywood OSB slabs on the outside. Then there's stuff called Tyvek which is Yeek. omnipresent if you see it. It's a plastic, you know, water mm-hmm. barrier. Yep. Then there is, you know, it's the seven-layer dip. Then there's the insulation. Then there's the <laughs> siding. Then there's the paint, you know, and then there's the on the inside, there's the drywall and blah, blah, blah. So the hemp, the hemp wall is just all one giant thermal envelope, and it basically has plaster on the outside, plaster on the inside, and a frame holding it up. So um, that eliminates yeah, a lot of so, that plastic night, nightmare. I'll, I'll toss yeah. in that in one of my uh, past lives, as I would call it, uh, I was doing remediation on houses that had mold or mildew. Yes. And I was using ozone generators that I would put into the home with nobody in the room in the house large enough that they would oxidize. Basically, the ozone oxidizes off the toxins. And then you have a byproduct, but you can get rid of that typically. And the worst things that I ever had to treat were brand new motorhomes because they're sealed boxes. The entire interior is plastic in some way. And I don't mean quality of construction. I mean the materials. And I would have people that would get the motor dealerships with motorhomes who would call me and say, okay, we just got in 20 new coaches. Come over here. And it would take a day. It would take me a complete day to ozonate each unit because people would go in to the coach on a hot summer day in Gilroy and pass out. I mean, literally like pass out or oh, come God. out with like red eyes, like they'd been smoking blunt since five in the morning. They were just like, wow, man, I got a headache. I'm feeling weird. And on a hot summer day going into a mobile home, boy, it is gnarly. And so they would have me come over and ozonate these coaches overnight because it's ozone works more effectively in the cool air. And it would at least oxidize off a lot of those toxins. They're still there, but the immediate off-gassing that occurs when they're brand new is burned off, literally by how ozone acts on that, those molecules. But it was gnarly to go into these things. So in a home, I've been in new homes as well. I've done more mold remediation in homes, but the idea of back to insulating with hemp. So hemp is antifungal. That's in the form of a question. Yes. That is correct. Now, yeah. well, it's not the hemp that's antifungal. The hemp okay. is a plant, and okay. it can it can get mold on it. But when it is used with lime, when it's uh, coated with lime, it's the lime that is so okay. acidic. Okay. The lime is antifungal. Um, and also, um, another thing that people are using is magnesium oxide. So you've heard mm-hmm. of these mag ox boards. 
So one of the cool things, you know, instead of trying to say we're going to make this house so airtight and watertight that no mold will get in. Well, once mold, it's inevitable that mold gets in. Yeah. And then once that happens is it can't get out, right? The water yeah. yep. can't, the moisture, moisture can't get out. So the idea with these vapor permeable um wall systems is that the moisture gets in but the moisture can get out and it basically moderates itself and and the little air pockets in those plants sort of wick the moisture back and forth between the outside and the inside so that it really so it basically gets it to the point where molds can't grow because the moisture has been wicked out so that's kind mm-hmm. of how how it works um you know uh it, it is it the mold problem is terrible and people do have um you know for children especially if you get an allergic reaction to it you know the family it it, it you have to basically rip out all of your walls and then oh, yeah. that that it yeah. c- doesn't come back yeah well, and you, you can know. do things. One of the tricks with, with mold, one of the things that mold hates, because there's a lot of issues with uh, Stachyborus, which is the black mold, the gnarly black mold, mm-hmm. it will occur under hot, leaking hot water heaters. And the classic, th- classic thing is just a little tiny drip, nothing you would ever imagine, where somebody would look at it and go, oh, that'll dry out, don't worry about it. That little tiny drip is all it takes for Stachy to go, wow, we've got a party now. Because mold can live off of dust particles, it can do what you know, it can live off of next to nothing, and yeah. just go crazy. I have opened equipment rooms, meaning that's where the air conditioning unit is, or air HVAC and hot water heater, and you can just see the black mold. And that's when you got to rip things out and start over with new materials. But you just need to keep air moving. Mold hates air in motion. It uh-huh. really needs. Okay. It it hates that. So I have done remediations in homes or spaces where they've had to rip stuff out, and then of course they're going to put new materials in, and they weren't smart enough yet to start using hemp insulation with lime in it. They hadn't gotten there yet, and you just need to have like even just a fan in the ceiling, just moving the air, and that really keeps it from sticking to a surface and being able to like go, wow, we're going now, because mold is very aggressive, and it's not it's it's not out to get us. It's just a thing it's like any of the fungus they all go crazy when they have the opportunity but it can be bad 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 so the idea of using this hemp lime insulation for me from the from that side of the story of the ability to have resistance and wicking action is amazing instead of these sealed boxes these that's a whole other show (laughs) the bad sealed box architecture one of the houses that we're about to write about is a, a doctor, a functional medicine doctor in South Carolina where, you know, it's, it's moist. Yep. <laughs> and uh, she, she has a mold uh, intolerance, but she also has patients who come to her after having an allergic reaction to mold. So she is building a 3,000 square foot hempcrete house using bricks, hemp, I'm bricks that are, and it's going to be her home and her office. It's on an island off the coast of mm. South Carolina. So she's building this show. I mean, it's going to be, it's, it's basically, it's half built. I would say the walls are up, the blocks okay. are in, but they're, 
you know, they're working on the inside, et cetera. But um, her whole thing was that she just went down the rabbit hole looking for how can I find something that is not going to um, give me mold problems. Right. And um, so I'm super excited about this house. You know, what we do with him. Hemp Build Magazine, we do feature houses, especially those that are built in the United States, um, just to show that it can be done. And um, so, you know, she she came at it from basically, I am gonna I'm gonna have a mold resistant home, and I am going to uh, basically treat my patients in a mold resistant office that's attached to the home. So excited about that project. That's very exciting. And the idea that she wants to really test that theory out by putting it on an Island. Exactly. Well, she just <laughs> has water property all. on that's the Island. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So I want but to know those kind that. of projects that's are, amazing. are very exciting. And there's another project in um, Oregon that's going up, which we're really excited about because it's in, so the other thing about hemp lime insulation is it is fire resistant. Mm-hmm. And part of the uh, testing that had to be done for the to get it into the building code was basically try to set it on fire. Now, there are tons of videos that could go on YouTube and just say hempcrete blowtorch. You know, there are people that are just sitting there. This is after 15 minutes. This is after 20 minutes. I'm putting my hand on the other side and it's totally cool, you know. So um, there's a there's a project going up in Sisters, Oregon. It is a, it's a, and, you know, the Pacific Northwest and here in Colorado, we have the issue of wildfires. And uh, they have they got the the testing through ASTM um, to show that it was uh, fire resistant for an hour, which is the the highest um, fire resistance test that you can do. And then, um, so they're building a shop on the bottom and then three apartments on the top that they are going to uh, basically rent out as Airbnbs. So people can go and sort of experience the hempcrete experience and you know what I'm a very I'm a I'm a journalist I'm a business journalist I'm not a woo-woo person and people would say to me oh you walk into a hempcrete home and you can feel it and I said yeah 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 well you are just having a a you know you're having a, a, a reaction because you are excited about the product and blah 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 but I myself have experienced the same thing part of it is because the wall is so thick and you can tell you know, the windowsill is a foot thick. So it's like you're in Europe in an old, you know, stone home with a really thick, you just can feel how thick the wall is. And it mm-hmm. feels, there's a visceral feeling that you get. Um, and I would not say this, I'm a very sensible person, but I wouldn't say it if I hadn't experienced it myself. <laughs> yeah. There's a feeling, too. I've been in Ramder's homes. Somewhere up here, I always forget, somewhere in wine country, they have a hay bale house. And right. there's actually a hay bale. I live in Sonoma County, in North Sonoma County. And I live three miles from where the coffee park fire was, which is about 1,500 homes. And that survived, right? A bunch of and that survived. And that fire, and that house survived. survived. That's right. It survived. Yeah. It didn't burn down. And so I'm just thinking, boy, if they'd been using hemp line, you know, in all these homes that you did, they built – because they built a, they, that happened in 2017, and that entire development is back. 
and wouldn't have been awesome if they'd used hempcrete as, yeah. the, as the insulation Absolutely. to slow down the fires because we have the same thing with climate change. You know, that's a whole, again, another show and rants about right. what are you thinking? I'm mad as hell. Right. I'm not and, taking it anymore. It's really. And nice. one of our uh, now deceased, unfortunately, board members of the U.S. Hemp Building Association was from California. And he said, you know, it's hard to get insurance for a hempcrete house. This is before uh, we got it into the building codes. But he said, <laughs> they should actually penalize you and make you pay more insurance if you don't have a hempcrete house because your yeah. house is not going to survive one of these big yeah. fires. And we have the same thing in Colorado. We have our our fire insurance companies are threatening to leave the state, um, kind of like Florida after, you know, the most recent hurricanes, basically saying this is, there is no situation under which we can make money insuring these properties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we did have a giant fire a year and a half ago or two, you know, right after Christmas of, of 2021, we had the huge 1200 uh, homes burnt down outside of Boulder um, in about three hours, hundred mile yeah. an hour winds, very dry. You guys are used to it. You guys have, have actually accepted it and worked towards, you know, making a solution. And, and um, I know that some, cities in California basically have a, a sort of, if you're willing to take the 10 steps to, to harden your home for wildfires, we will give you, you know, a rebate, like $40,000. If you right. can put stucco or some kind of, you know, and, and basically put screens over the events and other things, you know, get your landscaping under control. Um, basically, they understand that if you can just harden your house, you know, the uh, the resources of the town are not going to be, the fire department isn't going to have to spend a ton of time at your place as it burns down. They're going to be able to go to other places instead. Well, well, the scale of the fire here, at the at the time when the Coffee Pack fire lived, I was living in Sonoma. So that's about 25 miles away. And there were yeah. fires all the way from the city of Sonoma and east to Napa, so yes. from Napa to Santa Rosa was a sort of a line of fires. Yeah, so I, I was don't know how many thousand homes, point. but it was huge. Yeah. Oh, you were. Okay, so you're well yes. aware. So I wrote yeah. about those fires, the campfire, yeah. yep. paradise. And then I have a friend yeah. who was in paradise, and she ran out of the house with her purse and her two and her three daughters in their pajamas, and that was all they had left. Yeah. And then yeah. you know, two or three years later, or last year, I think she finally got this. This piddly insurance settlement, you yeah. know? Yeah. So yeah. it just financially and emotionally complete wreckage. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's something that is definitely needed. Now I will say that, you know, hemp is not the only natural material that can be used with lime. And in Mexico, um, there's a hempcrete builder who has used cocoa, coconut shells and coconut oh. bark to okay. make bricks. And, you know, the, the idea, you can use lime, uh, rice husks. So agricultural waste um, mixed with various uh, geopolymers and, and that stuff. It's all stuff that we need to be looking at, natural building materials, just yeah. to not only, you know, use the agricultural waste and the hemp, um, but also to using, 
you know, Portland cement, which has to be heated up to 1,600 degrees Celsius in order oh. to basically work. So it has a huge carbon footprint. And, you know, let's use a lower a lower carbon footprint um, cement and then use plant matter for the aggregate and you suddenly have just a much more carbon-friendly product. Right. And let's move to this. is a, That was a perfect cue. You'd almost think we rehearsed this. Um, <laughs> that I want to ask you about this term embodied carbon reduction, really, yes. which leads to the California other states taking this on. What does that mean? It sounds like something out of a Boris Karloff movie. What is embodied right. carbon reduction? <laughs> so embodied carbon is the concept of before the house is even built, the materials you use to build the house have a carbon footprint. One of the worst is insulation, especially like mineral wool mm. insulation. So the way you make mineral wool insulation, rock wool, is you take some uh, basalt or sometimes even old cement and other, you know, rock material, waste material, and you heat it to 1600 degrees Celsius again, and then you spin it and it makes these fibers that are made of stone, but they're thin and they can be bent and they can be put in your wall and they don't burn down. So great idea, except that, well, they're making it that, that basically generates VOCs and 30% of the ozone destroying chemicals in a new house come from the uh, either fiberglass or uh, mineral wool insulation. So mm. the idea is that, you know, even if you make a house that is very well insulated and you're operational carbon, so you don't have to spend a lot of money on heating and cooling, even if you do that, the embodied carbon, the, the footprint of the building materials themselves, when they were made that go into the house, um, is so high currently with our um, with our building codes, especially stuff like Portland cement, um, that it takes, you know, 60 or 70 years for that to even reduce, you know, at all based on how much, how great um, your heating and cooling systems are. So the idea is, and California just passed this rule that they are um, requiring new construction of big projects to have a lower embodied carbon. You can make cement products without without uh, Portland cement or concrete products without Portland cement. You can make, uh, we have a guy here in, in Boulder who's making it with uh, algae. Um, mm. You can also, we just had a story, there's a, there's a, professor in Nebraska who is using a who's making a hemp um, basically it's called a CMU it's a cinder block a hemp cinder block that weighs half as much it's half hemp product it's half plant matter and you can just swap it out for a uh, for a regular cinder block so it's load-bearing so mm -hmm. the idea is a lot of people are are excited about these green building materials and um, the state of New Jersey, the state of New York, New York City, the city of Vancouver, the state of California are all saying, listen, if you want to build brand new big projects, 
figure out a way to use materials that, that have a low embodied carbon and cut that by 20 to 40%. So we believe that hemp, this will just be part of, you know, the reason that people will say, you know, just throw hemp in there and it grows so fast. It's, we talked about the carbon sequestration, you know, five tons an acre. If you, if you can basically use hemp as your aggregate, you suddenly are doing a math problem where the, the amount of carbon that is soaked up by the hemp and sitting there inert for 60 years in a wall is basically can, um, can cancel out some of the other embodied carbon in your project. So fingers crossed wow. that that will be a great, um, a really good boost for industrial hemp as an ingredient. That's very exciting. Anything about yeah. carbon sequestering is good. More carbon sequestering. Yes, <laughs> and and now there are all kinds of. Um, there's several of these. The best, my favorite is the Beam Estimator, B-E-A-M, that's uh, built by um, Builders for Climate Action in Canada. But basically, it's you can basically sit down and say, okay, here are my materials. You know, here are the dimensions of my house. Here are the number of bedrooms. Here's how much drywall I want to use. Here, here's how much siding I'm going to use. Here are the windows, blah, blah, blah. But you could basically say, if I swap this out for hempcrete, what is my carbon footprint going to be? And it's it's an app on your phone. So oh. at this point, you can just basically sort of um, just – basically see exactly how much embodied carbon in a construction project and you can make choices like if I choose this and of course as a result there are all these websites now that say you know choose this instead of this this is a substitute for this blah 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 so um, you can basically choose things that are going to um, have a lower carbon footprint oh I was enthusiastic about hemp before. It's just getting more. Makes me want to go yes. do something in hemp. I'm not sure what though. Hemp seeds. That's another. That'll be a question after this question. Uh huh. Another one. The Department of Energy is looking at hemp building materials for support. What does that mean? The our Department of Energy, the United States government, the U.S. Department, Department of Energy. Of Energy. Yeah, wow. we have. So the U.S. Department of Energy has a mission to basically figure out how to um, make the, the built environment into a less carbon, you know, almost 40% of the world's carbon emissions come from the construction industry. Construction yeah. industry isn't going away, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. cars, you know, cars can go from gas powered to electric, but the construction industry, people are just going to keep building every single day all around the world. So the idea is, okay, what can we do to basically make some of these products decarbonizing to, and ideally, I mean, imagine if the built environment was actually a carbon sink, you know, wow. if basically every yeah. house, every strip mall was basically hold sequestering carbon um, and helping to counteract the uh, carbon issues all over 
all over the world. So, um, so that is sort of their thing. So they have been looking at hemp products, and in fact, they. So the the U.S. Department of Energy has a number of scientific labs. One of them is Lawrence Berkeley Labs in Berkeley. Um, they're usually sort of connected to a university. We have, out here we have NREL, the National Renewable Energy Lab. Um, there's one in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, the Oak Ridge Lab. So they all kind of work on, they basically work on sort of things like, oh, this is a paint that is really a solar collector or, you know, inventions that they they push along. So they say, listen, you come come here, bring us your invention, and we will help you get um, get this into the marketplace. And the U.S. federal government is also excited. You know, they are using their the GSA, which is the General Service Administration. That is the landlord for the federal government, all of the buildings owned by the federal government. They have this new thing called the Green Proving Ground, which is basically I have a brilliant idea of how to make a solar-based paint, right? That is the paint that can use serve as a solar collector. So if I go to the GSA and say, I want to use this on your retrofitting this building in Poughkeepsie and um, you need paint, use this paint instead. They will pick the energy-efficient paint. They they are using that as the green proving ground. And um, also the... Uh, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act money that is going into carbon reduction. They're also, you know, basically giving the DOA um, some grant money to find and encourage products that are plant-based, that have what are called nature-based solutions. Mm. And they like hemp at the DOE. There are like six wow. or seven projects that are, because it grows so fast and because the, every Every stock of hemp is like this carbon sink. So how can we make it? How can we make it work? And same time again, we're jumping. I'm I'm surprised we're not there yet, but we're closing in toward the end. At the same time, this is the same hemp that we can also get seeds from as new Correct. as a sustenance. Well, what the boy? Super I have a bunch food. of bad words. Superfood. Yeah, I was gonna run a string of bad words there like what the are we thinking so it's it grows fiber it grows fast it's and there's a dual crop thing oh so well, think a dual of crop it thing. as so think of it as flax you know very mm-hmm. similar um now flax is kind of a b-i-t-c-h to harvest because it's yeah. really strong right yeah yeah um but hemp is also really strong um so, but it, you know, you can, the Canadians have, the Canadian, uh, you know, as they have been growing hemp for grain, they have basically been using the fiber, the stalks for fiber. And so they have, they've been experimenting with building materials, also things like car parts. You know, in France, BMW uses hemp in the dashboards and in the car panels and, um, you know, a lot of companies are trying to just basically replace what might be styrofoam with hemp, Um, you know, a plant-based thing. So, so yeah, you can, you can do it for both. You can grow it for grain and use the fiber 
as well. So it is really miraculous. It's You really should think of it like flax. Um, also, my gosh, things like, you know, omega-6 oil, omega-3, um, fish food. You know, there's a crisis with fish food, um, with seafood food. So they use bait fish to feed farm-raised uh, seafood, but they're running out of bait fish, right? Right. So this is a product, and, and fish oil, as we know, is very healthy for you. It's very similar to flax, and hemp has the exact same stuff in it. It's got the omega-3s and the omega-6s, and it's a it's a protein, complete protein. So it's basically, it could be a meat substitute. So um, there is a, there's a very big push to use it for animal food, and that will, of course, animal feed, and that will, of course, drive down the price for use in uh, ingredients like protein, fake meat, um, any kind of thing that needs a protein. So it's and fascinating, it would, isn't it? I mean, it, isn't it's it amazing? Really, I mean, so could we, could we give cows... Uh, let's, let's, yes. pretend, let's pretend for a moment. Uh, give cows hemp prunings with the seeds still in their hemp holes. That's the trick is the hemp hole versus the hemp heart. The hemp heart is the no hole because it has a kind of a crunchy outside and it's really right, crunchy. The hole, right. the hole is t- tough. Could we give, if you had a hemp plant, a hemp factory where you process a hemp and we could strip away the outer leaves that had seeds in them, could that green with seeds be fed to cattle? Yes, and there was a terrible no, no. German study where they basically cattle do not like the smell of cannabis. So if you try to feed, you know, just like waste cannabis yeah. to yeah. that, you know, that smell, cattle just turn their head. They don't want to eat it, and um, they basically for that German study where it was like, oh, the cows got THC poisoning, and they were their tongues were lolling out. You know, the description of the cows it was so painful, but they were blowing pills down their throats with a tube. Yeah, they were not yeah. naturally eating that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What they do in Europe and other places they use hemp is they they squish the seed. They make um, they make it. They basically take the oil, which you know has industrial uses and food uses. They take the oil and then they basically the offtake of that is this is this is both the um it's both the sh- the shell and the heart so that's what they make into feed cakes ah okay that's been legalized in Texas now for animal feed and wow. Oklahoma wow, California not California? yet come on not this is California. Yet. Wouldn't you think that they would like Everyone's the cattle to be eating Everyone's worried about hemp? CBD and THC getting into oh. the animals. And we know that that comes from the flower. It does not come yes. from the seeds. It doesn't Seed. come from the oil. It comes from resin on the flower. And um, yeah. the idea is that would be a contaminant. It would not, it, you know, the idea is to get the seeds and not, uh, not, not have the flower or the resin. Right. But even if it, but off of a hemp plant, the THC level is minuscule. Correct. But they're still Correct. freaking out about that little tiny amount. Uh, yes, so we're freaking out about CBD and whether or not you know the FDA has not ruled on CBD, as you may have heard. Um, That's 
terrible. Another string of bad words. I have bad words. Yeah. Bad, bad words. So yeah. bad words for for government, federal government organizations with three letters. Yes. Like <laughs> That's a show. Yeah. Be, maybe, maybe I'll come on Clubhouse and do a string of them sometime. Because it's just, <laughs> are you kidding me? Oh, boy, it's bad. Uh, but that's amazing that we could be using take that. I didn't know that about the taking the crushed seed material, yeah. extracting the oil. Great, you've got the oil, and then taking that and making it into a cake and feeding that to the cattle or the pigs or the whatever or even yeah. chickens. We always look for co-products of any agricultural, you yeah. know, waste. Yeah. They don't call it a byproduct; they call it a co-product. But the idea yes. is, you know, what can you you have a plant, so how can you use it in the most efficient way? You know, what what can you do to feed animals with it? Or, you know, how can you basically extract every little bit of value out of it? Well, it has so many – it does blow my mind. We are moving into the close. But it really does blow my mind. Once again, and in talking to you, it, it just adds to the thing of, like, hemp just seems like such an amazing product to grow because it has so many uses. I mean, the entire plant can be used from its fiber to its seed. Now, I understand that the seed kit, you know, that you could take the oil out and then feed that to a byproduct. It doesn't really have anything that needs to be thrown away very hard. Right. Little. And it also, while it's growing, it, you know, it has a deep taproot. It also is a phytoremediator, so it can suck heavy metals out of the ground. They planted hemp around Chernobyl yeah. after the nuclear accident there right um it basically contained it it sucks heavy metals and poisons out of the ground and contains them in the plant so it is just yeah it is just really a pretty amazing thing and there, there was an article in 1938 in popular mechanics called the billion oh, yeah. dollar crop yeah. And you can look that up. It is so great because it talks about, you know, cellophane can be made of hemp and there are 25,000 different things that can be made with it. But, of course, 1937 is when they passed the Marijuana Control Act, uh, the Marijuana Stamp Act. And, right. you know, it's sort of, as I say, as a journalist, as a, you know, sort of writing the first draft of history, it's so interesting to see, to think about what could have happened if we had just left industrial hemp alone <laughs> and only yeah. or or maybe if we had just not decided to go after marijuana and make it a schedule one drug right yeah that's a whole different movie that's a, like a completely different movie no no reefer madness reefer joy yeah oh, exactly funny. okay um we're we're already over time but i Richard, know you'll come you back so because much. we're going to do this again i knew this was going to be great there's so much. I only have another two hours worth of questions, um, but I think it's just, it's such well, an amazing product. Yeah, me too. And it really is, you know, it's so exciting. You know, the ADU movement, really, I have seen that as a way to kick the tires for the construction industry. And also for people that, you know, I want to build a dream house out of hemp. Well, maybe I'm never going to own land and blah, 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 but I could put an ADU in my backyard and I could make it out of hempcrete. I just look forward to seeing that. I see a lot of footage of hemp or ADUs being uh, small backyard homes. 
being yeah. put into people's backyards and they crane them in and they just drop them on a cement platform and, you know, palm them and then they're there. And I look forward to, and Marin just seems like a place where this should happen because it's Marin. Um, yes. That they should be putting hemp ADUs in their backyards for good Right, sake. especially if they're fire resistant, you know. Yes. Oh, yeah. Let's all go, go hide in that tiny house and pray our house doesn't burn down. Yeah. Right, on that happy note, Gene, that was great. Richard, oh, it's been so great talking to you. Thank you so much for having Thank me. Thank you so much for all you do. Yeah, it's Hemp a great magazine. thing. Check it out. Yep. It's always free. We try to be as as accurate as possible. That's what we need. Is very is a lot of accuracy. The cannabis press sometimes gets things really wrong with yeah. uh, building materials. You know, and building yeah. materials have to be safe. They have to yep. be healthy That's and right. safe. Yep. I'm for all of those. All right, Jane, that was great. We'll uh, talk again soon. And everybody else, have a great, great rest of the weekend. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye now.